Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash wondery. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. Pet Med's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. Pet Meds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. I like the odd game of poker, but I'm not much of a gambler. I put in as much as I can stand to lose, no more. And I make sure to stop when I'm ahead. That kind of play won't necessarily make you popular with other players, but it's a sensible approach I learned from an unlikely source. Good old grandma. She was a hell of a maven with the cards. He used to take a yearly trip to Atlantic City with her girlfriends. They'd flock into the same hotel room each time, order the same welcome drinks at the same bar, then head to the same poker table. I know it probably seems like all my grandma did was try to scare the hell out of me, but I actually grew up hearing just as many stories about her raucous AC weekends as I did her disquieting tales. And then there was this one time when those two interests of hers intersected, when horror encroached on her revelry and reminded her that demons are everywhere even in your favorite casino. Because it was there, nestled under the neon lights, surrounded by whizzing slots, bouncing roulette balls, and excited patrons, that she first learned about the Jersey Devil. Grandma's knowledge of this behemoth was all thanks to one particular trip in the late 90s, when the reliable sameness she'd always counted on from her casino excursions caught a bad streak. First sign things weren't going Grandma's way, her friends had to cancel. The excuses ran the gamut. Grandkids, doctor's appointments, all that jazz. Nothing malicious, just life running its course. It left Grandma with a choice, though. She could stay home and pout, or she could take the trip solo. Not being much of the pouty type, you can probably guess which option Grandma chose. She went and checked into the same room, got her same drink at the same bar. But it was all feeling a little lonely so she was antsy to get to her poker table, where she could at least talk up her favorite dealer, Frankie. He was a middle-aged charmer, and over the years she'd enjoyed their conversations as much as the cards he was laying down. Grandma was always drawn to people with an edge, 
and Frankie seemed to have it. He was a little different, forlorn, a loner, even though he was always surrounded by people. But when Grandma got to that poker table after finishing her solo welcome drink, she was faced with yet another change in her routine. Frankie wasn't there. He wasn't there the next day either, or the next. She was asking some of the staff about him when a smarmy-looking casino regular in dark shades sitting across from her piped up. Don't ask too many questions about Frankie. Grandma didn't like his tone or being told what to do. She said she'd ask as many questions as she wanted. The guy leaned in and told her. Frankie wasn't just a dealer. He was a player. But not at the casino. He was too good for here. Frankie played at other tables. The unregulated kind, shall we say. Run by some not-so-nice people. This guy played those same tables from time to time and had seen Frankie there. Frankie had even cleaned him out once, none of which explained why Frankie wasn't there, dealing my grandma cards like he always did. So the guy leaned in further, lowered his glasses and his voice, and told her. Frankie had a bad run, a bad run that went on too long, meaning, again, don't go asking too many questions about Frankie. But Grandma was persistent. She kept pressing the guy, who shifted uncomfortably in his seat until finally he gave in. You really want to find Frankie, he said. I'd try the Pine Barrens. Poor Frankie. Because if you know anything about Jersey beyond the shore, pork rolls, and full-service gas stations, then you'll know this. What lurks in the woods of the Pine Barrens is far more terrifying than a gangster with a gun. You're listening to Run, Fool. I'm Rodney Barnes, and this is Episode 7, The Jersey Devil. Heading out of Atlantic City, the urban clutter fades away faster than you'd think. Go north on any decently trafficked two-lane highway for about half an hour and take a hard left. Suddenly, you're on one of those nothing-in-sight roads, heading into the dark heart of the Pine Barrens. I'm not trying to give out directions or anything. I just want you to understand that the Pine Barrens are both a vast wilderness and extremely close to civilization. I could also spot off a whole lot of interesting facts about its ecosystem and how it takes up more than a fifth of the state, but you can look that up yourself. All you really need to know now is that this massive tract of wilderness within spitting distance of AC provides a very specific function to those who need it. It's the perfect place to hide a body. Frankie knew all about the Pine Barrens, so when the Mercedes he was in the backseat of made a hard left off of Route 9, he started doing some quick mafia math. One, he was in the backseat. Plus two, he hadn't been told where they were going. Plus three, the guys in the front, Ronnie and Vince, weren't saying a goddamn thing. That didn't add up to anything good. And now, multiply all that by the fact that they were heading into the Pineys. Yeah. Most people in that situation would be terrified, which Frankie was. Don't get me wrong. But more than that, he was hurt. See, Frankie had been a loner his whole life. His parents had given him up when he was small, leaving him to bounce between foster homes till he was old enough to bounce around the country, always trying to find a place where he fit in. And when he got to Atlantic City, he finally found that place, the poker table. 
He'd been reading people all his life, studying faces, initially looking for any sign of compassion or tenderness. Over time, he learned to see other things as well. Disappointment, doubt, deceit. Which, it turns out, is a real handy skill for a game of five-card stud. It at least made him feel like all those years of rejection and desperation weren't for nothing. Anyway, Frankie was so good at poker that eventually he was banned from all the other casinos, which is how he ended up working there. He still wanted to be around the people, the game. So that's how he spent his days, dealing cards to people like my grandma. It was in his off hours that he played at the other tables. The kind of tables presided over by the likes of Ronnie and Vince. That's a small community, one where it's easy to mistake business associates for friends. I mean, they were together three or four nights a week. They played, they drank, they ate. They even lent him money when he got in a tight spot, which was exactly an item he needed to add to his mafia math equation. Because Frankie had missed a repayment, twice. And he was realizing too late that he'd misread these guys. He thought they'd care enough about him to cut him some slack, or care about him at all. Frankie didn't have the time to sit there feeling foolish. He needed to think through his options, fast. He guessed that bargaining was already off the table by this point. He could try to fight them. Had basically no chance of winning, of course, but it was worth a shot if it came to that. Or he could make a run for it, disappear into the woods. Frankie looked to the dense forest surrounding the road and thought if it could hide corpses, maybe it could also hide the living. Maybe he could just retreat from the world and live in the Pine Barrens. Maybe that's where he belonged after all. With that, he reached for the door handle and thrust himself out, hitting the embankment and rolling down to the tree line. Above him, the car screeched to a halt. He stood up as fast as he could manage, about to make a run for it, but it was too late. Vince was on him before Frankie could find his bearings. Throw me the tape, Vince called up to Ronnie, who was still standing by the car. This ain't the place, Ronnie replied. It'll do, said Vince. Frankie started to protest, till Vince pulled out the gun, put a finger to his lips and pointed down. Frankie, quiet, got on his knees and held his arms out behind him to be bound. After that, he felt the cold metal of Ronnie's gun press against the base of his skull. His dreams of fleeing, of survival, were over. Frankie closed his eyes. They say everything feels more heightened when you're about to die, and that certainly seemed to be true. Frankie could smell the mobster's salami-tainted breath. He could hear sounds of the forest around him, burr calls, rustling leaves. Most of all, he could feel his heart pounding in his chest, faster than he thought possible. Then he heard the gun cock, the trigger tipped back, the bang as it went off. Frankie screamed, expecting a surge of lethal pain and his consciousness to cease. But then he realized his heart was still beating. He was alive. And the bang? It was actually more of a fizz. He looked over his shoulder. Vince was standing there, gun pointed in the air, releasing a trail of red smoke. Frankie realized it was a flare gun, and he just started laughing. The guy laughed so hard he could barely breathe. Wouldn't you? He'd just been spared. Vince and Ronnie were only teaching him a lesson. A rustle came from the darkness, from somewhere deep in the trees. But Frankie wasn't paying attention, too flushed with relief to clock the distant noise. Message received, he said. He promised to stay away from the tables until he paid down his debts and began to stand up. 
when Vince's heavy hand clamped down on his shoulder. Stay, he said, before walking away. But you're letting me live, Frankie asked. And Vince just laughed. Frankie was scared, but he didn't know exactly why. There was something about that laugh, though. He tried pleading with them. Maybe it wasn't too late for bargaining after all. He reminded Vince and Ronnie of the nights they'd spent together, about the times he'd slipped Ronnie a chip or two at the big casino, risking his job. I thought we were friends, he shouted. At that, Vince stopped. Kid, he said over his shoulder, even though Frankie was far from a kid, you ain't nothing to nobody. Then he kept on marching towards the car. And maybe the fact that Vince was so much larger than Frankie, so much stronger, was the reason he'd never so much as glanced back. Because if he had, he would have seen Frankie barreling at him, head first. The two collided hard and fell to the ground. Frankie didn't have a plan after that. He just wanted to inflict some of the pain he was feeling. Vince climbed on him and laid a fist straight into his face. Come on, we gotta go, Ronnie shouted. Vince ignored him. He pulled back his arm and gave Frankie another one, right in the nose. He was winding up for another when a horrific shriek pierced the air around him. Now, Ronnie shouted, sounding panicked. We gotta go right now. But Vince was in a blind rage. Frankie's vision was blurry. He no longer felt the punches as much as he did the weight of Vince on his chest, pinning him down, crushing him. His ribs felt like they were about to cave in when through a concussive daze, he heard it again, the shriek this time followed by the rustling of bushes. Closer this time. And then, suddenly, he didn't feel the weight on him anymore. Jesus Christ, he heard Ronnie yell. Confused, Frankie sat up and wiped the blood from his eyes. He saw Ronnie jump in the car and speed off. But Vince, he vanished. Frankie was seemingly alone in the Pine Barrens, as the mobsters had always intended. The flare Vince shot in the air had landed not far away, burning away and casting a smoky light over the area. And that's when Frankie saw it, lying next to him. A hand. A big, meaty hand with rings on the fingers. A hand that had, just moments earlier, been a fist colliding with his skull. Yeah, it was Vince's hand, all right. But no Vince attached to it. Then it finally sunk in. The Pine Barrens wasn't a place where the mob dumped their corpses. It was where they let something else do the dirty work for them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're probably anxious to know more about that thing in the woods. And I'll get to that. I promise. First, I gotta take you back a few years. Back to, well, I don't know when. Let's just say it was a long time ago. But not so far back that the Pine Barrens were any less vast or lonesome than they are now. Even back then, only a certain rare type of person would choose to live in a place like that. And only if they had a real good reason. The man this part of the story concerns itself with 
he was that type of person. And he had a damn good reason. Because in this man's hometown, a small village on the outskirts of the Pine Barrens, each and every one of its inhabitants believed he was cursed. It was all his mother's fault. As the story goes, when she gave birth to her 13th child, she said something along the lines of, this child will be a monster, a plague on our land. Nowadays, we probably consider that declaration a little premature. But in the strict Quaker settlements of the time, it didn't take much for people to get all riled up, to get scared. The kid was dumped at the local orphanage. He didn't have a name, but he already had a reputation, an evil one. And so no name, as the town folks took to calling him, grew up enduring a constant barrage of terrified looks and fearful slander all while living just a few houses down from his mom and 12 siblings. That's enough to make anyone want to peace out on humanity. And when you get to that point, where better to go than the Pine Barrens? Of course, you want to be damn sure of your decision beforehand, because pretty quickly, those woods become impossible to escape. The impenetrable bleakness sucks you in, deeper and deeper. Gradually, you become part of the forest. No Name didn't know that when he walked into the thickets, although he probably would have done exactly the same even if he did. That's how desperate he was to get away from everyone. He built a cabin with his bare hands, forged for food, tended to his garden, and listened to the roar of the natural world around him. Frankly, it was kind of idyllic, being removed from the human world that had made him feel like nothing his whole life, for a while anyway. But over time, No Name's joy in being alone faded turns out that even the dejected and despised need some connection to others. And once that first whiff of loneliness caught on, well, it was like a cancer. It got harder for No Name to sleep. He'd stay up at night, staring into the woods, fantasizing that someone would emerge from the tree line. A visitor would want to sit and talk with him. But no one ever came. Night after night passed this way, which meant No Name really wasn't sleeping a whole lot. Instead, all of his time was spent thinking, yearning. And eventually that yearning got so bad it started to make him sick. An ache settled in his stomach, making it growl so hard that no amount of food could quell it. So now, when No Name lay awake at night, those voices he heard in the woods were joined by the low rumble of his belly. On one especially unbearable evening, he found himself on his feet, walking further through the trees than he had in years. And what would you know? The voices got louder. No Name followed them, skirting fallen trunks and hopping over streams until he reached a campsite. It belonged to a family of three. The parents were getting a fire going while their toddler waddled around the clearing. No Name went to call out to them, but after so long, he'd lost the ability to speak. What emerged from him wasn't a warm greeting, but instead, a wild shriek. He clamped his hands over his mouth and ducked behind a tree, embarrassed. He peeked out and saw the family gazing in his direction, and he could see the fear on their faces as they scanned the darkness for danger, for him. He recognized the same fear he'd seen on the faces of everyone in his hometown. The same face, presumably, of his mother after he was born. That feeling in his belly, that ache, surged so violently that he gasped in pain. Then he saw the father kiss his wife and child on their heads as he held them close, protecting them. The pang hit again. He heard another loud shriek, 
Was that him? Before he could figure it out, he was doubled over. And then, everything went black. The next thing he knew, No Name was waking up, confused as all hell but feeling great. His stomach no longer ached. He was well-rested, which meant he'd actually slept, which meant it was all probably a dream. That happy family in his dream and this burst of energy in the morning, it was all a sign that he should abandon the woods, head back to his village. It was a decision he'd been wrestling with for a long time, but after just a few waking minutes, he finally felt certain. Then he rolled out of bed, and that's when he saw something really, really troubling. His sheets were soaked and bright red. His clothes were too, and his hands were sticky. A thick metallic smell hung in the air. He knew right away it was blood, and he was absolutely drenched in it. No name panicked, checking his body for wounds. Nothing. He had no idea where it came from, but it wasn't from his veins. His mind flashed to those last moments of his dream before he woke up. The happy family, the happiness turning to fear, the aching pain in his gut. And look, we're all thinking it. No name was certainly thinking it. He'd brutally murdered them. It wasn't no dream. Of course, he had no one to check this with, no way to know for sure what went down that night. But if there was any doubt about that chilling conclusion, it would soon become appallingly clear. See, the fullness in No Name's stomach lasted just a few days. And when it came back, it was even stronger. So strong that No Name couldn't just sit still. He took to seeking out those voices, traveling as far as the edge of the forest to find them, if needed. On one of these walks, the flurry of voices faded away to just one sound, a loud, wretched sobbing. No name followed these cries and came upon two young girls crouched in the crook of a fallen, rotting tree. They were covered in mud, their dresses torn. It was clear they were lost. One was crying so intensely, it seemed hard for her to catch a breath. The other stroked her friend's back, shushing her with comforting tones. No name kept out of sight, listening to the girls' gut-wrenching wails, noticing the tender love they seemed to have for one another. That's when the pain in his gut flared up again. All of a sudden, No Name's body was not his own. He felt a shrill scream tear from his throat and found himself sprinting towards the girls faster than he'd ever run. They barely had time to look up before he bit into one's arm, tearing the limb clean off. Her screams fed No Name's sadistic fury as he latched onto the other. Warm blood filled his mouth, tendons and bones snapping beneath his teeth. After their screams had been silenced, after he'd had his fill, No Name regained control of his body. He stepped back and stared at the ravaged corpses before him, tears filling his eyes then, because for the second time, the ache was gone. And he finally understood something about himself. The only way he could take part in humanity was to consume it. His mother was right. He was a monster. I'd like to say No Name fought against this realization, this instinct, but unfortunately for us all, he accepted it. And ever since that day, No Name has stalked the desolate grounds of the Pine Barrens at night, feasting on anyone he comes across. Over time, his body changed, adapting physically to match his surroundings and the animals he shared the forest with. And even though decades went by, a century even, he did not die. Well, I guess No Name had died, 
but in his place lived the Jersey Devil. And all this brings us back to that night in the late 90s when poor Frankie was dropped in the woods and left there. Because now we know the source of that shriek he'd heard amongst the trees. It was the devil himself. And that cry, it meant it was feeding time. So you've met the Jersey Devil. You've met Frankie. Know this, one of them will die. Frankie was sure it would be him because as much as he wanted to pretend the noises he'd heard were just from some animal, he couldn't, especially not when he was staring at Vince's severed hand. Behind it, he saw something move between the trees. It was fast, dashing between trunks and disappearing. That flare was still going off on the ground nearby, making it hard to see. Then the shriek cut through the night again. It made Frankie shake so hard he couldn't even run when he saw a silhouette form in the red-tinted smoke before him. It was an impossibly tall person, maybe. Then he noticed the silhouette had bat-like wings spread wide from its back and dirty, twisted claws that hung at its sides. But the worst part was its head. The deformed snout was the first part of the creature to emerge from the smoke, followed by the horns, which protruded from a warty brow. It looked almost horse-like, if not for the row of gnarled, sharp teeth jutting from dry, cracked lips. But then eyes. The eyes seemed very human. This was the Jersey Devil in all its monstrous glory. It was a sight Frankie was still marveling at when the creature moved, fast. It shot towards him with its claws reached out, aiming at our poker dealer's chest and Frankie threw himself out of the way at the last second. The devil crashed to the ground. So did Frankie for that matter. But they were both on their feet in seconds, both running, one for his life, the other for his supper. Remember, Frankie's arms were bound behind his back, so he wasn't exactly spry. So it took just seconds for the tip of the beast's claws to scrape against his shoulder. Frankie gasped and dodged right. The devil tumbled forward a few feet before it backtracked to race after its prey which gave Frankie just enough time to duck behind a tree. There, he leaned back against the bark, hoping like hell he hadn't been seen. Then he heard an odd sound, kind of like snorting, no, sniffing, which was a true oh shit moment for poor old Frankie, because that meant the devil didn't need to see him. It could smell him. Frankie tried to think, think, how to get out of his second death trap of the night. The beast was fast, sure, but it might be dumb. And if it was dumb, then Frankie had a shot. That's when another shriek came from the atrocity that hunted him, which could only mean one thing. It was closing in. Frankie picked up a rock and hurled it behind him. He saw the creature turn its head and started in that direction. Then Frankie took off, making the most of that brief head start. The screams from the devil tore at his retreat, urging him onward. His arms ached behind his back and his chest throbbed, but Frankie kept going until he tripped and ate it. Don't be too hard on him. There were no hiking paths that deep in the Pine Barrens. It was all tree roots and fallen branches and rocks, but it was still one time too many because before he could struggle to his feet, he heard a ravenous whimper. The devil was looming over him. The beast seemed taller, like the pursuit had made it bigger stronger, its claws sharper. Sure, it could have been Frankie's vanished from the ground, or maybe it was just because this was the end of the road, 
Remember, everything feels more heightened when you're about to meet your maker. Frankie took a moment, maybe the last one he had, and listened to the forest, felt his heart beating. And in that spirit, he forced himself to meet the gaze of the thing he knew was going to kill him. The devil's eyes were bloodshot, but they were peering at Frankie's in a way that he didn't expect. That skill he had of reading people, it kicked in. And he saw in those eyes a deep sadness, as though this atrocity was ashamed to be in these woods, hunting Frankie. Now, we don't have any idea how much humanity this devil had left in him. But as far as the unexplainable go, there's something to be said for a moment when two lonely souls meet one another. There's a recognition that takes place. And here were a pair of living things, cast aside and left in the woods to rot, who each had hoped to find some kind of connection to bring them back to the world. And I'd like to think there was a part of both Frankie and the devil that could recognize that, even in the lonesome pine barrens even in the face of death. It was this feeling that made Frankie smile at the devil. He just felt compelled. As for the devil, he stared into Frankie's eyes for a moment, cocked his head, and sank his teeth into Frankie's neck. Frankie screamed and tried to pull away, but the devil tore into his flesh, gnawing up and down his shoulder like a corn cob. Blood and chunks of skin flew into the air. The monster feasted, and Frankie wailed. Finally, the devil's claw ripped into Frankie's chest and fished out a still-beating heart. And then, with that one last gulp, the devil suddenly didn't feel so bad. When Grandma told me this tale back in the day, I remember being struck by what she did next. She immediately left Atlantic City to get back home to Maryland. It wasn't out of fear of the devil or anything like that. It's just that story made her miss her family because she didn't have to be there, sitting alone in a casino away from her friends and loved ones. Avoiding the Pine Barrens was a hell of a good idea, especially at night. But Grandma wanted to impart that the thing I really needed to watch out for was that special brand of loneliness, the kind that makes you withdraw from the world and turn inwards on yourself. It's not always preventable. It's not always deadly either. But in her mind, surrounding yourself with whatever love you got is as good a way as any to protect yourself against your own monstrous instincts. Run, Fool! is a production of Ballin Studios, Campside Media, and At Will Media. It is hosted and executive produced by me, Rodney Barnes. This episode was written by Kate Murdoch and produced by Abakar Adan. Editing by Matt Hickey. It was sound designed and mixed by Kevin Seaman. Creature vocalization by Terry Casburn. And artwork by Jessica Clogston Kiner. Production support by Jeremy Bond and Cole Locasio. Special thanks to Lindsay Kilbride and our operations team, Doug Slawin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Executive producers at Ballin Studios are Mr. Ballin, Nick Witters, and Zach Levitt. Executive producers at Atwill Media are Will Malnati and Rosie Guerin. Executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Sher, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and Adam Hoff. 
Thanks for listening and see you next week.